Well, good morning, church. Is Mrs. Val Mitchell in the house today? There she is in the back. Ms. Val and her husband James recently moved to Tennessee, back to Tennessee, from North Carolina as missionaries to the Tennessee Titans and that organization. And so last night, your husband invited me to come and share a word with the Titans, and I walked out of there with two tickets to today's game. Now, I told Brother James, I said, man, they normally stick the worst tickets on the chapel speaker. The 300 section where you buy the lights and you can unscrew bulbs if they go out. And, and so he said, I'm going to take care of you, Pastor. And these are in the 100 section. So if there's anyone here, I've got two tickets, section 138, seats 19 and 20. Uh, if there's someone who wants to go, she's working on the equipment up there. Can, can, Chauncey. It was just, it was just his birthday. Now, do you like anybody on the, on the Texans or the Titans? You're a Titans fan, right? He don't want to leave church service, though. He, you, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> now, Joyce, if you go, who, who's going to do my scriptures up there? You have a backup. Well... I guess these tickets go to Chauncey and Joyce Davis. Amen, brother. Enjoy. Enjoy. That was quick. That was easy. Man. Wow. She's packing up her stuff. She's doing deuces. Bye, sister. Amen. Wow. Well, this morning we kicked off the Apollos Training Institute and had uh, several classes offered during the 9 o'clock hour for adults, students, and children. So I hope uh, you were able to attend and have a good time learning God's word, growing as a disciple. Uh, we'll pick back up again next week at 9 o'clock. It's not too late for you to join any one of the classes for the adults or the students. Uh, let's see here. In my class this morning, one of our missionaries was in class, and he, uh, Larry Warren, and his wife Mary are about to go to Madagascar in South Africa to minister for about 14 days to, to several pastors in the region. So I'm going to ask Larry and Mary to come on up so that we can hear what God's about to do and so that we can pray for you. Which one? Orange? Tell everybody what's going on. Good morning. We uh, get to head to South Africa on Tuesday where Mary and I lived for five years and our two youngest sons were born. That's those uh, white African-Americans you see around here sometimes. Uh, and uh, Chris has been there with me a few times and uh, at a, the Apollos training class today, I was reminding him and the group that 
that's the same training we use in many uh, countries in Africa. And in fact, the material these guys are going through in the Paulist training is what we've had translated into Malagasy, the native language of Madagascar. <clears throat> and so next Sunday, Mary and I will be in the capital city uh, starting the first training class for leaders there, church leaders, about 100 church leaders. And so uh, manual six in the uh, Apollos training, I, I know you got numbers different and it's a little different than what, how we all started together on this, but is on personal spiritual life. So that's what I'll be teaching on. There are three other people that are going to be teaching. Mary's going to be sharing some about her, how God has uh, provided for her during her uh, battle with cancer. Uh, so, uh, doesn't she look good? Doesn't she look good? Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. So when I told Chris about this trip a couple of months ago, I, I said, now, and Mary's going to go if she feels like it. And uh, so we believe in she feels like it. And so we're thankful. Thanks for your prayers uh, for her uh, all this year, and I believe her testimony will be an encouragement to the people there. Uh, we have 12 people in South Africa right now that are building a community center during this week. They're actually having a conference in Cape Town this week, introducing some of our other leadership training. But thank you for your prayer. And uh, uh, the, the older I get, the, uh, uh, the more challenged I am in my own personal spiritual life. I wish I could encourage you young people to say it's going to get easier. It, if you find an older person who says that, hang with them. Now, there's something like that. My mother's going to be 93 next week, and she says she has that perfect peace. And uh, so I'm praying for that, but my prayer request is just that uh, I would experience that peace and be used by the Lord in the training. They don't need me. I know that. Uh, we're just there to facilitate God's word. And uh, so, but thank you for your prayers. It's a privilege that we get to go and then to come back here. So I wanted to thank you, too, for the past year and a half of praying for me, all the meals and the support and the love. Y'all really blessed our family because one thing the Lord showed me is he still loves me even though I'm weak and sick and can hardly get out of bed. And then y'all just gathered around my family and loved us, loved on us so well. And here I go again to cry. <laughs> thank y'all. And, and you are healed as you stand here today, right? But what did the doctor say? You can still pray for no, reoccur no okay. reoccurrence. Okay. Yeah. But what did that last doctor's? The, the, after the surgery, they said I had clear margins. Amen. So we're saying that's good. Amen. 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 I need the elders and their wives to come and surround this family that we may pray over them and send them forth in the name of Jesus. Spiritual warfare is real. And as my friend is a veteran, he's been doing this for a long time. Uh, the warfare doesn't get any easier. As a matter of fact, it gets more intense. And, uh, he's been in a battle as much as his wife has been in a battle. Um, but he has given the Lord his yes and he's going to go and he's going to serve and make himself available. And we're praying Proverbs 11.25 that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Let us pray. 
Father God, as our friends go, as our family go, to serve your people, our brothers and sisters in South Africa. We thank you for how beautiful their feet are as they go and bring good news and good tidings of great joy, as they encourage and build up the body of Christ in South Africa, namely in Madagascar. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for these study aids that have been translated into the language of the people. They have been published and printed for them. Lord, you love them, and you prepared a banquet table for them to learn your word, and you're sending one of your choice servants there to bless them. And Lord, and as he ministers to them, we thank you that they will minister back to him. We know, Lord, that when he and Mary show up, that you will refresh the people, even as you refresh Paul when Titus showed up. Lord, it's just the presence of your people sometimes that means more than any words we can ever say. So I thank you for young Ohm and all of the missionaries and pastors that my brother has sown into for years, men who look to this man as their pastor and as their covering. Lord, and as he goes, I do pray that you would refresh him and encourage him. Keep Mary well. Bless them as they go. I thank you in advance for the angels that are in camp round about them, who may from time to time take physical form and even do battle for them in heavenly places. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And as they are going out blessed, and as they do a blessed work there, we pray that you would bring them back to us blessed, that we would hear about what you're doing globally, that we will be encouraged not to take what you've given to us for granted, that we would be fired up about what you're doing in the nations and not just in our lives and in our city, that we will see that you're a big God who's got the whole world in his hand. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless them now. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Let's give God praise for this mission. Woo! Yes. Amen. This is church. Turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm talking about the things of God and I'm excited. I'm talking about heaven and I'm excited. And I've had many of the elders... Pastor Jerry, they told me, take your time as you share about where we're going, as you share about where our loved ones are, where Jesus is. Take your time and let the scriptures encourage God's people. God's got all of this on lock. I mean, he's got it all figured out. He's a good God. And I pray that today someone would be encouraged with the things that are going to be said today. Today we're going to be... uh, following up a message called A Preacher in Paradise Part 2. A Preacher in Paradise Part 2, and we're going to be in this passage of the many passages we're going to cover for several weeks. Let's begin reading at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul wrote to that church, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. 
Let's pray. God, my prayer is simple. Help me. Help me to preach and teach your word. Thank you for the spirit of God who allows the word of God to make sense to us. God, teach us today. Uh, you said that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men and women the things that you've prepared for us. Yet you reveal them to us by your spirit. May your spirit speak today in spite of me. May he speak through me. May he speak to me even as I speak to your people. May our hearts burn within us, Lord, when you teach us about the kingdom today. Be glorified. And then, Lord God, after we hear the word, may we put into practice the things you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name, the mighty one, that I pray. Amen. Sometimes we have a tendency of dismissing new ideas simply because they're new to us. You know, we've been taught to discern and test the spirits, and we should. Because every spirit that goes out is not of God. So we need to test what is being heard, especially if someone is talking about God with the word of God. But sometimes when we hear new ideas, new concepts about the word of God, we can tend to be skeptical. We think, if I haven't heard this before, it must not be true. As if we know everything there is to know about the word of God. Well, today the majority of you are about to hear things you've never heard before. And one reason you're about to hear something you've never heard before is that if you've been going to this church for any amount of time, you've never heard me say these things. So you're about to hear things you've never heard before, but just because you haven't heard it doesn't mean that it's true, that it's not true. So I encourage you, Strong Tower, to be like the believers in the city of Berea, that when Paul went forth ministering in that community on his second missionary journey, that the believers in Berean listened to the apostles speak. They received his word. But then they also went home and studied their scriptures to see if the things that Paul said were true. And the Bible says that the Bereans were of noble character because they were students of the word. So they were listening. They were given an amen. They received it, but they also went and studied it. Strong Tower, I encourage you, be like the Bereans. Listen, receive the things I'm saying, but above all, check them out to make sure that what I'm saying lines up with Scripture. I want you to keep this in mind today. We're going to be dealing with some level of doctrine today. Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture, all 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, all Scripture is profitable, and it's given to us for doctrine. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's been given to us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteous living. And so we love sermons that talk to us about righteous living, application. But we also have to have sermons that deal with doctrine. Because if I don't know the right things to believe, I won't be able to live in the right way. So what I believe has bearings on how I live. 
So all scripture is given by the breath of God and it is profitable for doctrine. So this morning we're going to get some doctrine. And I pray that it will put an extra bounce uh, in our step, pep in our steps, some stride in our, glide in our stride, all that good stuff that the word of God will just bless us today. Last week, Paul said that there were three heavens. And we spent last week talking about each one of those heavens. The first heaven being our immediate atmosphere. The second heaven being space. The third heaven being the place where God chooses to live and inhabit and brings his people in to live with him. The third heaven where he sits enthroned. Uh, so we talked about those three areas, those three heavens, and how they are all so vast. As humans, we need help to get up to each level. We need help to get in the first heaven. We need help to get into the second heaven. And we surely need help to get up to the third heaven because Paul said the Lord caught him up to the third heaven. And so the only way we can go to heaven when we die is to go through the door, which is Jesus Christ, is to climb the incarnate ladder of Jacob, which is Jesus Christ. The only way to go to heaven is to go and accept the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father unless they come through him. We can only go to heaven because Jesus came down. Uh, he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich, rich in righteousness primarily. Jesus came down so that we could go that's the good news. God doesn't leave us down here. Jesus comes. He pays it all, pays our admission price so that we could go not to the first heaven or the second heaven, but into the third heaven to be with God for all eternity. That's the good news. And so as we pick it up today, Paul says in verse 2 that he was caught up to the third heaven. And all this happened in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, he, he went past the first, second, and into the third heaven. And then he says in verse 4 that he was caught up into paradise. So reasonable deduction is this. The third heaven is likened unto paradise. Or the third heaven is paradise. So when Paul went up to the third heaven, Paul went to paradise. So a question for us as Berean believers in the 21st century is, what is paradise? You just said it's the third heaven, but can you go a little bit deeper into what is paradise? Because I've seen this word in scripture before. So let's trace it. But before we go into the scripture, let's go into the Greek language. The koine or the common Greek that the New Testament was written in before it was translated into other languages like English. Let's go back and look at what this word is in the Greek language. And the word paradise in Greek is paradisos. And this word paradisos is of Persian origin. It comes from the Persian people. The Persians were known for their beautifully elaborate walled or enclosed gardens. So the Persian people, they, they were known for these gardens that they would create. And these gardens decorated King Cyrus's royal palaces. He had a number of palaces. So if you go to the White House today, uh, there is a garden. I forget what they even call that garden at the White House. What's it called, Lena? The Rose Garden? And they take pictures out there. But it's always beautifully manicured, right? It's always fresh. It's always right. And so just imagine if we go back in time to, the, to King Cyrus 
And the Persian people, man, they loved having these elaborate gardens, these enclosed gardens. Now, the Persians perfected what they learned about gardens from the Babylonians. Now, if we look at church history and even world history, the Persians took over the then-known world from the Babylonians. Remember Daniel's prophecy about the statue with the head of gold and the chest of silver and on and on? Well, the head of gold spoke of the Babylonian people, Nebuchadnezzar. Following Babylon would be the Persians. And the Persians learned about the gardens from the Babylonians. They just took it to a whole nother level. Listen to this. The hanging gardens of Babylon were on the list of the seven Wonders of the ancient world. So the Babylonians, these suspended gardens that made it look like gardens were hanging in midair. The things they did back in the day. And you say, I really can't understand how they would do that. We still don't know how they made pyramids. So just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it wasn't true and that it wasn't beautiful. And that there, was, there are mysteries about the ancient world. And so they had the hanging gardens, but the Persians took these enclosed gardens, paradisos, to a whole new level. Paradisos occurs often in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, but when it was translated, before it came to us in English, it was also translated into the Greek language and into Latin and into English. The Old Testament translation of, uh, 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 of, of in the Greek is called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Testament. And in this translation, the word paradisos, which has Persian origination, was used as they were translating the Bible from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek. They used the word paradisos with the word garden. Okay, so let me see if I can help you. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 or look on the screen to read Genesis chapter 2. So when you see the word garden in the Bible, our English Bibles, which came out of the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek, the words that the translators were using will help give us an understanding of the meaning of the text. So if I were to read, just simply read to you Genesis 2, 8 through 10, it would read as follows. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. So we just stop and pause. And then try to understand how garden in the English can also be translated as paradise from the Greek language. So if I go back and read Genesis 2.8 and I insert paradise where there is garden, listen to this. The Lord God planted a paradise eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the paradise and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10, now a river went out of Eden to water 
the paradise. So this word garden and paradise uh, can be used synonymously, but it's good for us to try to get an understanding of what is paradise by simply going back to Genesis when we think about the garden or the paradise of Eden. This word paradise means the sum total of blessedness or bliss. So paradise sauce, paradise, garden. It means the sum total of blessedness or bliss. And, and, and some of us who are really outdoorsmen, unlike myself and uh, uh, my sister who gave the announcement, uh, 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 Sister Donna, we, we, we're not the outdoors type. We, we, we look at creation and we give God glory, but we're not really trying to camp nowhere. <laughs> if we camp, we are making a sacrifice. We, my, my, we, we prefer indoors and running water inside and cool air, warm air, and all of that. You know, but some of y'all really connect with Jesus in the great outdoors. And I say, God bless you. Matter of fact, I see Ben Wolf raising his hands. Those of you who just love connecting with God in outdoors, would you just raise your hand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of you black folks are breaking the stereotypes. Yeah, I tell you what. Some of y'all, you go sit outside and it's just bliss. It's just, oh, oh, oh. Some of us sit outside and like, mm, what, what was that? What was that? Mm, what, mm. <laughs> but man, some people just like to sit down, especially if you have a manicured garden. And again, just breathe. Ah, it's bliss. So this word paradise means the sum total of blessedness or bliss. But it goes deeper. In this garden or paradise called Eden, man had total blessedness with his maker, with his God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that God walked with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. So they had this relationship. He was with God and God was with him. <sighs> Just blessed. It was blessed. But he also had total blessedness and bliss with the woman that God gave him. Remember, after God makes everything as good, as good, as good. But when he makes man, it's and woman, it's very good. And the woman is the pinnacle of God's creation because she was made from out of the rib of the man. And so she is, whoa, man, woman, she is beautiful. She is something to see. And Adam, man, oh, man, he, he was messed up when he saw that beautiful woman. He said, I need somebody uh, that I see the animals paired up, but I don't see a, 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 a helper that's suitable or fits me. So God says, I already got all that covered. So he made the woman from his rib and brought the woman to him. So there is a glory on a woman as far as a woman's appearance that is not really present on a man's appearance. I've said this before. I've gotten in trouble. But if I walk down the street with my shirt off, it's different than if a woman walks down. Anyway, uh, I'll leave that alone. There's a glory that's on a woman. Keep it moving past our sure will. And uh, <laughs> there's a total blessedness that they had with God. And with each other. And what you see right there is loving God and loving your neighbor to a degree many of us, all of us have never experienced. Because this is the pre-fallen state before Adam and Eve sinned. So it is bliss. It is blessed. It is just an amazing moment. And not only do they have this bliss with God and with one another, but they also have this bliss and blessedness with creation because God created them to have dominion over the earth. 
So they have dominion together, and the animals obey them. They take authority over the animals by naming them. So all this stuff was created for them so that they may enjoy it and give God glory. So in the pre-fallen state in the garden, it was paradise. Paradise or the Garden of Eden. Listen to this. It may have been planted after God created everything. So when God creates and then he rests, we read in uh, Genesis that he does something else in verse 8. And that says the Lord God planted, this chapter 2, a garden or a paradise. He planted a paradise. So he creates everything and it's good. Now, have you ever been somewhere um, and, and you look at the sunset or you look at the foliage, you look at the ocean, and you look at the sand, you look at the mountains, you, and you're like, this place is beautiful. My wife and I, when we went to Kauai, it was probably the most beautiful place we've ever laid our eyes on. And we've been fortunate to travel many places. But going to Kauai, the greens were so green and the mountains were beautiful. And we would just wake up and look around and truly go, ah, this place is amazing. But imagine what the earth looked like before the earth got cursed by sin. Because when Adam bit from that tree, ate the fruit, his eyes were open, and according to Romans chapter 8, not only did sin and death affect man and woman, but sin and death affected the earth. And the Bible says the earth is groaning now to be clothed with the glory it used to have. So I know we're groaning, Lord, when you coming? The earth is groaning, Lord, when you coming? So if after thousands and thousands and thousands of years... We go to Kauai or someplace, and it's so beautiful. Imagine what it looked like before the fall. We can't even comprehend that. And that's where Adam and Eve were hanging out with God and having dominion. So after God creates this beautiful earth, he then plants a garden. So you can surmise from this that the garden was not a part of the original creation that God did in six literal days. So he planted, you know, he, he gave a temporary light source. He gave the sun, moon, and the stars. You know, he made the earth. He separated the waters. All that stuff that happened in seven, six literal days. He rested on the seventh day. But Eden wasn't a part of the original creation. And the original creation was amazing before the fall. So he plants a garden. Or here's one of them things you may not have heard before. If he didn't plant a garden or just create a garden right there that wasn't a part of creation week, he may have brought this garden down from heaven and placed it on earth. Now, either way, whether he planted it or he brought it down from heaven, this garden is a copy of, of what heaven is. See, a lot of times we think that earth is the original thing and heaven copies after earth. No, heaven is first. Heaven is most and greatest. And earth copies off of heaven. It all comes from God. You say, Pastor, can you prove that? Yeah, 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 I'll prove this concept. Did the concept of father and son start with humans? 
What did it start with God? It started with God. Because God has been the eternal father. Jesus has been the eternal son. And then God created man. And one way we get to know about God is that we are fathers who have sons. God didn't start calling himself father because we were fathers. We call ourselves fathers because he's the father. So we copied that from heaven. Marriage, Paul said, marriage was created to show us God's relationship to us in Ephesians chapter 5. Marriage is an illustration of how God loves his bride. So marriage isn't the, the blueprint that heaven copies. Marriage copies off of heaven. Heaven doesn't copy off of earth. We only know about marriage because God created it. And again, it is a picture to show his love for us, which is why when we get to heaven, there won't be any marriage between men and women. And some people said, amen, pastor, when is that sermon coming? Just hang on, that, that one's coming later. When I've got the real thing, I don't need the illustration anymore. So there are things that originate in heaven that earth enjoys. Eden originated in heaven. And either God planted in a garden, a paradise, after the image of the one in heaven, or he actually brought the one from heaven down. Pastor, I need scripture. I'm glad you asked. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Paradise seems to be like separate from all of creation. It seems to be an exclusive addition to what he was doing during the week. Let's see if we can back this up, this thought. Now, in Ezekiel, the prophet is speaking to the prince or the king of Tyre, which is a pagan nation. And in the first verses of this chapter, he's talking about how this king or this prince is lifted up in pride. And if we know rulers then and even rulers now, this is not a far-fetched notion for rulers to be lifted up in pride and for some of them to even think that they are a god or God. This prince, like many of the leaders in the world then, thought that they were deity, thought that they were God. Again, the Roman Empire, on and on and on, you had to worship the emperor because the emperor thought that he was God. So this prince thought that he was God. He went around saying that I am a God, but he's not as we know. Now, if you keep on reading this prophecy, Prophecies normally have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Prophecies norm normally deal with things in the natural realm and the spiritual realm. So when we read what we're about to read right now, there are going to be things that are going to be said that can't be equated to a man. They have to be equated to a spirit or even the spirit behind the man making him prideful. And so we're going to learn about an angel who was very prideful. Matter of fact, let's pick it up. At verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. Stop right there. Is any human perfect? No. So therefore, he's speaking beyond the human or even what may be behind the human. He goes on to say, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's not a human. 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. Again, let's read it again. You were in paradise, or you were in Eden, the paradise of God. When was the king of Tyre in Eden? He wasn't in Eden back in the day. So, so again, we're reading, Lord, help us to interpret prophetic literature here. He goes on to say, you were in Eden, the garden of God, the paradise of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. You were blinging. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Okay, let me give it away. He's not talking about a man. He's talking about an angel. And verse 14 says he's talking about not just any angel but a cherub. And not just any cherub but a covering cherub or a cherub with authority that would have other angels under it. So this is prophetic literature, language about Lucifer who we know as Satan. Who started as a created being. The Bible says in the book of Job. That when God created the angels, they sang as he created creation. So God created the angels and they worshiped him as he started making everything. And somewhere between starting that job and finishing that job, one of those angels got cast down because of pride. Because it started thinking, it started believing its own press clippings. This, this angel started thinking that he was the man and not God. If you need a parallel passage, go to Isaiah chapter 14 later. Don't do it now. But Isaiah 14 also gives us more insight into the fall of Satan from heaven and how he kept saying, I will lift my throne up above the throne of God. Lucifer had a throne. He had authority. He had responsibility. He had beauty, as we see in this passage. And even he had the sounds of music, timbrels and pipes coming from him. So as he moved, as he flew, whatever his mode of movement was, he was not only light because of all the diamonds and the gold, he was a beautiful creation, but music cascaded from out of his being. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers the only other angels who have names in Scripture. Beyond Lucifer, who became Satan, was Michael and Gabriel. So and based on the assignments that they were given, it's as if they were also anointed or covering cherubs. And that the angels in heaven, that they were broken down into thirds. Gabriel had a third of the angels. Michael had a third of the angels. Lucifer had a third of the angels. Revelation says that when God finally put Lucifer out of heaven, his tail as the great dragon pulled a third of the stars which is another word for angels, out of heaven. So when he fell, he fell with angels down to earth or demons down to earth. And he is such a good deceiver, if you will, that he was able to deceive a third of the angels to not follow God but to follow him. So this, this like I said, now hang on, hang on, don't go nowhere. He says, you were the anointed cherub, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. The day you were created. See that? Till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence. 
and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom or the sake for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Prophetic language. Satan was cast down. He comes down to earth as a fallen being. God creates man in his own image. Angels aren't made after the image of God. Humans are. So the Bible says that God gives man authority, but he's a little lower than the angels, right? Psalm 8. Why? Speaking of just constitutional power, an angel has more power than a human especially a cherub, one with deceit and power like Lucifer slash Satan. So compared to a man, Lucifer is constitutionally superior to a man. Let's just say Adam. So when he rolls up into the garden and he begins to tempt Adam and Eve, he's constitutionally superior to them. They have some authority, but not like this angel. But dig this. They still have more power than Satan in that moment. Why? Because although they are constitutionally inferior, they can be superior to that angel when they submit themselves to God. But because they did not submit to God, that angel took authority over them. <laughs> did, did, did you get that? And here we are today. I don't have more power constitutionally or humanly than a demon or the devil. But when I submit to the power of God, he that is in me is greater than the spirit that is in the world. But when I'm not submitting to God, then the enemy can just have a field day with me. And had Adam and Eve submitted to God, they could have did what God did and cast that devil out of their paradise. So since the first Adam dropped the ball and did not submit to God, God says, I'm going to suit up and send my son into the game, and he will be called the last Adam. Follow me. Mankind sinned. We come from Adam. We were born in sin and separated from God. We die physically. We die spiritually. We need a Savior. God says the only way I can save you is if a man comes and lives perfectly and dies for imperfect people. So when Jesus comes, guess who tries to tempt him in the wilderness? Lucifer. He's trying to give Jesus the kingdom without going to the cross. He's trying to get Jesus to compromise. But Jesus did what the first Adam should have done, and he resisted him by quoting what God said. Adam and Eve dropped the ball because they weren't quoting what God said correctly. They didn't even transmit what God said correctly. Eve is like, uh, uh, he said we can't even touch the tree. God never said you can't touch it. You're making up stuff. That's why we got to know the Bible. And so Jesus starts quoting scripture, and so Satan is like, I see how you want to do that. I'm going to quote scripture too, but I'm going to take it out of context. So there's a spiritual war that goes on, and Jesus is doing all of that, not only to defeat the enemy for his divine purposes to save us from sin, but he's also setting an example for us to know how to engage in spiritual warfare. 
So when you're faced with an enemy, the enemy, demon, spiritual attack, you don't try to feel them off. You don't try to use your fist to get them off. You submit to God, and then he gives you the ability to resist the devil, and the devil will flee. When you say yes to God, he then allows you to say no to the devil. So when you're in the midst of spiritual warfare, stop trying to use positive thoughts and stop trying to, no, use the Bible, submit to God, and speak to the devil the way God speaks to the devil, and the devil will flee. But he's waiting for an opportune time. Just like with Jesus. He, he, he left, but he's waiting for an opportune time. We'll cast him away. He's waiting for an opportune time. And it's not him. It's his demons who work for him that we engage with. What am I saying? Eden started in heaven. And it was called the garden of God. So paradise was in heaven. God creates everything. Then he brings a piece of heaven down, paradise down on earth, and he puts man in the garden. He allows the devil to come into that place, giving man all that he needs to resist the devil. Man fails. God says, I'm sending the Savior. And the Savior is coming not only to bring us back to God, but to bring us back to paradise, a paradise that was even greater than the first paradise. Oh, man. Again, you may not have heard this before, but that don't mean it's not true. And in this paradise, strong tower, oh, my goodness, the Bible says that this paradise is the mountain of God. So this place where Lucifer was had mountains, clouds, trees. God brought that stuff down on earth. So earth copies what's going on in paradise or heaven. So what will heaven be like? It'll be a lot like earth. Hang with me, don't go nowhere. What happened to paradise on earth? Well, Adam and Eve were banished from it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now he, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And, and, and dig that. The tree of life. These brothers, this brother and sister has, have fallen. They're spiritually dead. They're physically dying. God says, for your own sake, I got to take you out of this garden because if you eat from this tree of life, you'll live forever in a perpetual state of life and death. So I got to save you from yourself and, and, and I got to remove you. And the Bible says, uh, verse 24, so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So God says, I can't let you come back in here. You, you are put out of here for your own sake. And let me transition quickly to say this. Because some will say, okay, is paradise still on the earth? Is Eden still on the earth? And I would say to you, no, it's not on the earth. It is now, well, there was a season where it was in the earth. God moved it from heaven to earth to the middle of the earth. And then he's going to move it, or he's already moved it, from earth up to the third heaven. Follow me. Eden started in heaven, the mountain of God. Lucifer was there. It went down to earth, planted for man. Man's sin banished. Eden was then moved to the middle of the earth, which I'll prove in a moment. I'll get into it next week when Jesus said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
Where did Jesus go with the thief? I'm here to tell you he went into the middle of the earth with him. Then when Jesus rose from the grave and ascended, he took paradise with him to the third heaven. How does paradise move so much? Why is it moving so much? Because when you own stuff, you can move it how you wish. <laughs> Come on now. You got furniture in your house and it'll sit over here. Man, I think I'm going to change it today. You have authority. You have dominion over your stuff to move it. God has dominion over his stuff to move it. But that's a new concept. We think that it stays right there. Boom. God can move it. And he is moving it. Because that's how, and, and dig it, when he moves it to the center of the earth, he's moving it there, this place of blessedness, beauty, and bliss. Because when the earth fell, don't miss this, it looks like Eden didn't fall with it. Because, you know, they put that sword out there. The tree of life is not affected by the fall like the rest of creation. And, and so, 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 so it's separate from creation. It's an addition. So God says, I'm going to take this paradise, this walled garden, this outdoor park, beautiful, and I'm going to place it in the center of the earth. Why? So that when saints in the Old Testament die, people who believe in God, they're going to go to this place before they go to the next place. Oh, y'all, 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 y'all. All right, let's go. Let's, let's close here. Let's close here. Go to 1 Samuel 28. I'm going to close here. They told me to take my time. 1 Samuel 28. And this makes me want to worship God and bless God that, that, that he would love me that much. That when Old Testament folks died in the Lord, they didn't just go to some holding area. That's what I was basically taught. They just go somewhere and sit down. If you were kind of taught something like that, raise your hand. And that's boring, isn't it? We can't sit down for 30 minutes. These folks sitting down for thousands of years in a holding place. That's like torture or purgatory for some. 1 Samuel 28. I said paradise. I believe the Bible teaches it's in the center of the earth. Verse 7 says, 1 Samuel 28, I'm going to get on my horse. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium or a witch, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. So we see a clue. Bring this person not bring them down, bring them up. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? She's done this before. And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Okay, watch it now. Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, which meant she brought him up, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? 
And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle, speaking of his clothes. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Samuel said that to Saul. And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Pastor, what's going on? Let me help you out. First thing we see, Samuel had to be brought up, not brought down. Sam, remember, paradise is up there. But for a moment, it was in the earth. We'll see more next week. Samuel, when he came up, was recognizable. He, he still looked like a human. But yet, he was also a spirit. He looked like a human because he could still wear clothes and he could see, which meant he had eyes. He had a mouth, which meant he, he could talk, which meant he had a mouth. But she said he was a spirit. So he was a spirit that also had physical form because he still looked like an old man. That's what she said. I see an old man. So when he died, he maintained what he looked like. But that doesn't mean that's his final resurrection body. Oh, hold on. Samuel could see, hear, and talk. Samuel said he was being disturbed. Disturbed from doing what? <laughs> Somebody said he was sleeping. Okay, he was sleeping. He wasn't sleeping. Because if you can sleep, how you know all the stuff that's going on that's happening in the earth? Which is another point. He was aware of what was going on in the earth. He wasn't sleep. He was enjoying paradise. Let's say Samuel liked fishing, fly fishing, where you catch it and throw it back. I don't understand it. <laughs> where I'm from, you catch it, you take it home, cut the head off, flour it, put some onions in the That's what you do, yeah, you know. <laughs> but let's say brother man was having a good time fly fishing in paradise. And he hears a witch calling his name which God allowed to happen because God is the Lord of hosts, not only angelic but demonic. And he allowed this. And the woman is saying, come up. So Samuel has to put his fishing pole down and go up and find out what's, why y'all disturbing a brother? I was having a good time. You don't disturb people who just sitting down. They waiting for somebody to call them if you're just in a holding room. That 
I said, why are you disturbing me? I was having a good time in paradise. Number eight, or well, number seven of my point, Samuel had a conversation with Saul. They had a conversation, which means he had intellect. And it reminds you of Matthew 17 when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and the Bible says Elijah and, he Moses, and Moses appeared and talked with him. So he had a conversation. He also remembered what had happened to Saul and the nation. He up at dealing with history. You remember what happened. You remember what happened. And he's also aware of current events that are taking place right now, which means he's watching. He's aware. And then finally, he prophesied that Saul and his sons would not only die, but die tomorrow and be with him. Where? In paradise. Did Saul go there because of works? Good Lord, no. He went there because of grace through faith. And by the way, how did Saul die? By committing suicide, falling on his sword. So to hell with the lie that people who commit suicide don't go to heaven. I know the religious folk, y'all ain't trying to hear that. But the grace people thank God for that. So he's going to be in paradise even though he falls on his sword and even though he's not worthy by human standards to go. Now listen to this. Samuel is in paradise still prophesying. What did he do on earth? Prophesy. What is he doing in paradise or in the eternal state? Prophesying. Why am I saying all this? You wonder what your loved ones are doing and what you're going to do in paradise. You're going to be doing the stuff then that you do now to bring God glory. Whatever you do now to bring God, he made you a certain way. And if you bring him glory through putting an orchestra together or writing a piece of music or painting a picture or writing a book or being a speaker or a singer or a builder or a coach, whatever you're doing now to bring God glory in this earth, you're going to do in the life to come. And I hope that takes some of the boredom away because why would God allow you to love to do something now then when you get to heaven all you do is float around on a cloud? Remember, earth is made after heaven. So when he makes a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to be there with him, we're going to be doing things that we're doing now, but it will be in a perfect state. Enjoying God and his creation in a most blessed and blissful way. So I'm just trying to give you a glimpse of where we're going in the future and to encourage you to say that your loved ones right now they're recognizable, yet they may be spirit. They have body, yet they're spirit. My daddy has a body, but he's a spirit because he's still waiting on his earthly body that Jesus is going to transform. He's going to call the dust together and, and all of that. But he has a body. He's not floating around as just some puff of smoke. He has a body, yet he's a spirit. My father can see and hear some things. Because we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So your loved ones can see what's going on. Now, I think God don't let them see you in the shower and stuff, but they can see. <laughs> Could this be an example of what it would be like or what it is like for our loved ones who died in the Lord? 
And I say, yes, they are in paradise. Let's stand and we'll come back next week and get some more. Amen. Amen. This is good stuff. Thank you, God. Now, at the end of the service, I'll be standing up front if you want to talk to me about church membership. But above all, kingdom membership. Trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Savior. You've never prayed with anyone to ask Jesus to be your Savior. I would be honored to pray with you so that today can be the first day of the rest of your life. You can be born again today. You can be forgiven today. You can accept the full love of God today for you. Let me pray with you. If you want to talk about membership at this church, I'll be down here. I'll let you fill out this card. For the rest of us, uh, church starts when we leave the building as we leave here. Let's go out to the world uh, with hope. But man, th th this life, this ain't home. Citizenship is in heaven. So as I'm dealing with things in life, I don't need to go overboard with these temporal things. They're temporal. Keep it in perspective. It's important. Politics is important. It has its place. Economics is important. It has its place. But keep it in perspective. Where we're going is far greater than where we are. So don't let where we are just cause you to be just, man, don't let it rob your joy. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm going there. Let's pray. Oh, God. We started today by singing we need you every hour we need you. Thank you for the yearn that you've put in our heart to want you, to need you. You've set eternity in our hearts. And only the eternal God can fill that yearning. Thank you, Lord, that we can testify, those of us who are believers, that can't nobody do us like Jesus. That you've satisfied our soul, even though our flesh, it's a fight every day throughout the day. But we know deep in our soul and spirit that we're born again, we're new, we're transformed, we're different. Ah, and we thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us a little glimpse today from the Word about what eternal life is like. Lord, as we leave this place, may we study the Word. May we just not listen to what was said, but Lord, help us this week to have some Bible study on our own. And let your Spirit teach us some things that maybe our pastor didn't teach us or our mother didn't teach us or our denomination didn't teach us. Lord, you teach us. Now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine is according to the power that's working within us. To him be all of the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a good day.